What is up, everyone? Welcome to The Man Room. Thank you for joining me tonight. Very excited for our guest in The Man Room and uh, just very excited to be doing a podcast in general. So thanks so much for joining us. Every person that clicks like, subscribe, shares uh, with your friends or does anything like that helps this podcast out. So don't ever quit doing it. Uh, My guest today uh, I got to be honest with you, I am I am over the moon right now. I'm sweating, actually, because I'm so excited to have him on. Uh, Craig Gass, comedian, you might know him from a hundred different places. Uh, family Guy, American Dad, Howard Stern, King of Queens, and the first comedian to open for Metallica. But right now, he's a man guest, or he's a guest on The Man Room. Craig, thank you so much for joining us. I'm happy to join you, man. I, uh, I remember when I first met you with The Donkey Show, uh, years ago in Eugene and just tripping the fuck out on like, how is a show like this happening in a town like Eugene? Like <laughs> it was, it's such a small market. And then it was like a, it was like a big market feel of a show. You know, it was, there was, it wasn't uh radio. Like I've been doing radio as long as I've been doing comedy for over 25 years. And, and uh, in small markets, People are very boxed in uh, and they don't really get to express their personality. Um, And and if they do, it's like a minute or two minutes before a song plays. Right. You know, you can always like in a small market, you'll hear, uh, you know, the question is always like, how many songs do you have to play an hour? And it's like, I got to play eight. I got to play 10, you know, and that really shows how much they're trying to limit you. Uh, in how many songs they want you to play. And that's on top of commercials and everything. But the donkey show was like free form talk. And it was fucking like, <laughs> like people's feelings were getting hurt. And I was like, <laughs> what the fuck is going on here, man? We're like, we're in this small town where you could potentially hurt everybody's feelings in this town. This is amazing. It was, it was really incredible. Oh, it's awesome, man. Well, thank you so much. I, I, I have been scolded before for talking too much about the donkey show on this podcast, but it's a very significant part of my life and for many reasons, but uh, it's the reason I even have the connections to do such a thing and can even get in touch with a guy like you to come on and, and join me here. And we had so much fun with you, dude. You were in there. You were one of those comedians that came into the show and was like, look, I'll stay until the end of the show if you want me to. And that's that doesn't happen. A lot of times when guys are on the road, they, they would want to do radio, but they're not super into it in our experience. Of course, being an afternoon show, we were a little bit better geared for that because we weren't asking people to come in at 6 in the morning. But yep. still, um, to have somebody be willing to play the game like that. And your experience on the Howard Stern show, too, was probably one of those. Because Tanner, the guy that was the host of the show, massive Howard Stern fan, really looked up to the guy as an inspiration. And I think you could tell... Tanner has a way of asking you a question at a time that is just, it'll slap you right across the face. And like you say, sometimes feelings get hurt, but God damn, it was fun, man. It was just like hanging out with your buddies, having a conversation and, you know, getting to do prank calls and shit like that back in the day was also a lot of fun. So Tanner the one with the super deep voice. Uh, No, that's Drew. Drew. All right. Drew had the voice that started at the bottom of his balls. 
where'd this guy come from? Uh, like you just don't expect a Morgan Freeman voice to come out of a, out of a body like that. And, uh, um, but yeah, Drew, uh, the whole thing, wasn't there also, I'm trying to remember, I, I could swear, wasn't there like some kind of connection to High Pitch Eric? Wasn't there like a fight or something that happened with High Pitch on that show? <laughs> so High Pitch was was coming on our show and talking a lot about the Howard Stern show. He would just call us and he, he joked a little bit at first. We didn't necessarily believe that it was him, but Tanner got to the bottom of it and realized it was actually High Pitch Eric. And then um, the, the producer called, you're going to have to remind me of his name. Gary. Gary called. Thank you. And uh, had Tanner on the Howard Stern show to talk a little bit about uh, what was going on with Gary. And it was just in a little news segment. He did like a two minute phone interview with him. And uh, I guess it kind of resulted in Gary getting put in his place a little bit because he was he was um, overstepping his bounds on our show, talking about the things that were going on on Howard's show. And it got uh, Eric got his feelings hurt a little bit by that one, I think, because he was a little surprised. I I think he was kind of playing up the celebrity a little bit, but it was it was fun, man. That I mean, to even be mentioned in the same breath on the same page on the same day as the Howard Stern show, even if it is just in a connection with high pitch, Eric is very flattering to a guy like me. So, yeah, the, uh, I mean, listen, Howard can really make you famous. Um, uh, I remember talking to a girl out in Miami who worked for the Miami dolphins. Uh, her name was, uh, fudge Brown. That's her name. (laughs) Um, and, um, I was doing something with the dolphins when I was in Miami and then fudge was like my contact person out there. And I remember we got in a discussion about, about Howard and she said, um, you know what? I've been working in communications uh, for the Miami dolphins. And I think previously to that she had worked on, she worked on presidential campaigns and she said, she's never been more famous in her life than the one time that, uh, and I guess it was during the Dan Marino retirement press conference uh, that the statement came from Fudge Brown and Howard said, what what kind of a guy names himself Fudge Brown? And it was a girl. (laughs) And she said like her phone has never blown up as much as when it was mentioned on the Howard Stern show. And uh, she said like, like she's never received that kind of attention before. And yeah, Howard definitely has that kind of power and, <laughs> you know everything that happened to me in my life uh almost everything except minus family guy happened because of howard really yeah i mean how because of howard i ended up on sex in the city um there was a i got a phone call from the stern like somebody called the stern show i had just been on the air talking about how much pain i was in getting over a relationship and I got a call from the casting director of Sex and the City saying, hey, uh, we were listening to you on the air this morning, and we think that you would play a really good insecure guy on Sex and the City. And I was like, okay, you know. <laughs> and then What a phone call I, to get. How's that for your self-esteem? Like, hey, yeah, this is, this is a good look for you. <laughs> well, there was, a, there was a flip side to it, which was, uh, and by the way, I don't know if you're comfortable with this, but your character is you end up uh, dating one of the girls in the show. And every time you get together with her, you love to perform on her. And every time you perform on her, she has such a huge reaction that she explodes all over your face. And you're such a sensitive guy that you just want to hold her and kiss her afterwards. <laughs> which freaks her out because your face is always going to be covered in cum. Uh, do you have any questions? And I was like, yeah, fucking what time? Like, <laughs> you want to rehearse? Like, 
and uh i went over and yeah so i got the gig and uh similar stuff with king of queens my character on king of queens was written by a fan of the howard stern show um las vegas on nbc that i did with uh james Kahn and uh alec baldwin that was also a fan of the howard stern show so like uh, like almost everything i've done on tv has been the result of uh stuff that i've done in howard and then uh six months ago after not being on Howard for 15 years, I've started coming back to the Howard Stern show. So. That's awesome, man. I'm, I'm happy to hear that. Uh, are you are you doing uh, impressions? What are you getting into on the Howard Stern show? Just uh, being a, a former, you know, uh, constantly appearing guest, or is he having you in for special bits? It started with uh, Eddie Van Halen's passing. Um, I lived at Eddie Van Halen's house for uh, a period of time back in 2004, and when I was living at Eddie Van Halen's house, I put Eddie in touch with Howard. Eddie wanted to get in touch with Howard. And uh, so they started a friendship um, uh, because of that. And um, uh, I sent Howard a note when the news broke. And like at two o'clock in the morning that night, I got a text from Gary saying, hey, Howard wants you to come on. And then we just, we ended up talking for a while. He said, you know, it's really crazy. But when, when I heard that Eddie Van Halen had passed away, I thought about you. I thought of you were the first person I thought of and how you lived at his house and what that experience was like. And we ended up talking for like a half hour and it just, it felt so good for all of us to be talking again. And, um, and they said, Hey, if you ever want to come back on and do something, you know, let us know. And I was like, I would, and I heard from all the fans. I heard from, uh, you know, like Richard and, and Benji and everybody, everybody on the show was like, fuck, that was great. And then, um, and then like a few months later, I'm watching uh, an award show. I think it was like uh, it's, uh, Golden Globes or, or something where uh, everything was done on Zoom. And then they, they went to like show the nominees for this category. And Al Pacino was sleeping on his Zoom camera. <laughs> <laughs> passed out and so i wrote a whole script of al pacino defending himself for falling asleep on tv and uh, i sent it to howard in the middle of the night like i sent it to him at like 12 or 1 and then again at 2 a.m i get a text from gary saying hey are you up are you up can you call and he said howard wants to start the show with you today and i was like oh right on let's do it so jumped right on it and then then it was like man you should do more stuff you should do more stuff and i'm like I would love to do more stuff. And then I started hearing from their writers and they're like, Hey, give us a list of any impression that you can do. And I was like, I mean, here's like, here's the ones I can think of, but I mean, I, I literally can do anything. So just, you know, if, if you have something in mind, like, okay, we'll get back to you. And I, but I just wrote a script that I want to do on Monday, which is, um, uh, and I think I talked about it on stage when I saw in Eugene, I got asked by, um, fuck, what's his name? Um, uh, I always, forget his name he's like one of the most brilliant writers ever um who does triumph the insult comic dog um oh. robert smigel yeah robert smigel had somebody get in touch with me and say hey you do impressions right and i said yeah i can do whatever you want and they said do you know who mike lindell is and i was like the my pillow guy and they go yeah. i was like of course the fucking he actually sounds like a guy who used to be on the stern show all the time named crazy cabby mike lindell's almost the same guy um uh, for my pillow, 
I'm a recovering crackhead, and uh, uh, but I'm clean and sober now. Uh, please listen to what I have to say. Please, it's very important. I'll suck your dick. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm a recovering crackhead. I shouldn't say that. But uh, uh, anyways, my pillow. Uh, very important. Listen, I'll, I'll eat your asshole. Okay? Please just listen to what I have to say. Like, like just the idea of just a recovering crackhead, like like slipping all the time. So I wrote this whole thing out, and then um, Howard's on vacation right now, so I'm hoping we can knock it out some sometime next week. But to answer your question in short form, I gave you a long-winded answer. It's to uh, start doing celebrity voices on the show again. But it started with a reconnecting um, when Eddie passed away. Sure. Well, um, I know that's a friend of yours, and I, I apologize for that loss. A uh, huge loss felt by, uh, I mean, just worldwide when Eddie, Eddie Van Halen passed away. And uh, you have such an interesting experience with him that uh, you you told on stage a, a few different stories about living with him and um, what a cool, what a cool part of your life. I know it was probably hard going into it because you weren't necessarily, uh, you know, on great times when it happened. I think you said you were, you were recovering from a breakup, right? Or something like that. Dude, I, uh, he, okay. So I got to back up. This is how the whole thing goes down is, uh, uh, it starts at a concert in like 2002, I believe. Yeah. I was like, um, I was at a Scorpions docking concert at the Universal Amphitheater. And uh, there's this guy who works in the music business who hates that this happened because he knows it started with him. And it really bums him out that, that this happened because uh, of how it ended. But um, he's doing me a solid uh, by uh, we run into each other backstage at this concert at the Universal Amphitheater. And he's just he's introducing me to people just like, hey, man, this is Craig. He's a stand up comedian. And um, and it's all like. Uh, rock stars and I'm such a nerd about music that I actually recognize names of people who aren't rock stars because I'm always reading the liner notes oh, yeah. on all the albums and stuff and I'm like you're the guy that was mentioned on the third Dio album with the plug it <laughs> like you know okay weirdo like like I know I know everybody's name so when he says hey is so and so I'm like oh fuck yeah fuck yeah like and then um and at one point he looks across the this like space backstage um um it's like a big open patio outside behind the behind the stage door and he goes uh he goes oh shit okay um all right listen uh, i'm gonna introduce you to this guy um this guy lives with one of the biggest rock stars on the planet but don't tell him i told you that come on and he walks me over and he goes maddie Hey man, uh, I, I don't know if you're a Howard Stern fan or if you watch this TV show or that TV show. Uh, this is a comedian friend of mine. This is Craig Gass. And the guy turns around and goes, dude, I am your biggest fan. <laughs> go, oh, shut up, man. Really? And he goes, yeah, man. He's like telling me about all these uh, shows he'd seen me do before. Uh, he saw me... Um, he saw my headlining show at the Roxy. He said he had, he had waited in line for a couple hours for the, uh, the release of tickets that were going to happen to my show. He said he went to the house of blues to watch me open for um, Robert Schimmel and Richard Jenny. And I was like, no way. And, and so um, we start talking and uh, we exchange phone numbers and I, and I said, do you want to go bowling? And we made a plan to go bowling a week later. And on the night that we're going to go bowling, I called him up and said, uh, Hey man, uh, uh, they have a league night tonight and it ends at nine o'clock. So are you cool for 9 PM? And he said, yeah, absolutely. Hey, uh, quick question. 
is it cool if I bring my friend Ed with me? Because I've been telling him about you and he, he's a big fan of yours. And I said, yeah, man, that's fine. And he goes, okay, because he's got a kid. His kid's 12. And I go, dude, it's bowling. Who gives a shit? So I can bring whoever you want, man. And we get to the bowling alley and he shows up with fucking Eddie Van Halen <laughs> and and his kid. And, uh, and, the, and the, come to find out that this relationship is... Maddie is Eddie Van Halen's assistant. Maddie lives on the property in a guest house. And Maddie runs the 5150 Studios, which is also on the property. It's like up a hill. And um, Maddie is such a Howard Stern fan that he gets up every morning at like 5, 5.30 in the morning so that he can go in the studio and just sit and work while he listens to Howard Stern for five straight hours. He just listens to the whole show. Wow. When I started popping up on the show, Maddie starts coming down to Ed and saying, uh, um, dude, there's this guy. Uh, there's a new guy on the show. He does a fucking uh, Paul Stanley impression. It's fucking crazy. And then a week later, oh, my God, that same guy does a Lars Ulrich impression. And then a week later, oh, my God, the same guy does a crazy Sam Kinison impression and it goes on and on and on. And then at the bowling alley, Eddie Van Halen is telling me my whole life story back to me going, it's fucking crazy. <laughs> smoking. You're not supposed to smoke in the bowling alley. But who's going to tell him? Yeah. I mean, he's sitting there smoking. And I remember there was one weird moment where I, uh, he brought up a story that I told on the air. Howard always liked to take credit for everybody's success on the show, which was right. It was very rightful. <laughs> yeah, makes that. sense. And he started talking about how he gave me everything I ever uh, had in life. And it was true. And and I kind of uh, reiterated what Howard was saying and said, oh, dude, I've been, I've been broke my whole life. And in fact, all I've ever wanted to own, like my dream was that if I ever had money, all I've ever wanted to own was one of those... Uh, illegal cable boxes that's all i've ever wanted was one of those legal cable boxes that unscrambles all the channels and uh and i can finally afford one now i bought a i bought a box i bought one of those illegal cable boxes and at the bowling alley eddie van halen's talking to me and he's smoking going dude i heard you broke your whole life is that true and i said yeah that is true he goes dude me too i grew up in the fucking ghetto he goes and i heard that uh you always want a legal cable box? Is that true too? And I said, yeah, that's, that is true. And he goes, it's fucking crazy. Cause, uh, and he looked both ways and he went, I got a legal cable box too. And I was like, <laughs> really? And he goes, yeah, the thing is I'm fucking rich, but uh, don't want to pay for cable. And I was like, are you serious? What the fuck? Like it was this surreal conversation. And uh, a couple funny things happened that night in the bowling alley, but, uh, he bounces and then uh, eventually Maddie bounces, but Maddie and I start hanging out. And over the course of the next year and a half, I would come up to the studio part of the property and I would hang out with Maddie and then Ed would show up and we'd shoot the shit. And then I got in a bad relationship, a really uh, unhealthy relationship that ended with um, a really unfortunate situation where I... <laughs> We were at a party at the NAM show, the, the National Association of Music Works. It's like a big event that happens in Anaheim every January. And there's always a big scene going on at the Hilton across the street. So I left for two minutes to go pee. 
And when I came back, she was making out with some dude. Oh, God. <laughs> I was like, fuck. And I didn't know what to do or what to say. So I called Maddie and I just said, hey, man, I go, you're not going to believe what I just saw. And uh, and he said, hold on, hold on, hold on. Uh, Ed wants to talk to you. And Ed on the phone. He said, dude, I told you she's a fucking whore. And I was like, <laughs> I go, yeah. And he goes, and you're fucking living with her. And I said, she's the only person I know in this town besides you guys. And he said, dude, back up your shit. Move in with me. Oh, my God. <laughs> really? Is that okay? And he said, yeah. He goes, dude. You can sleep in the recording studio. Stay as long as you want. The only thing is, don't tell anybody, but the band's getting back together. You know? <laughs> oh, my God. I bet you felt that in your soul. Yeah, and he, he added, it's going to be noisy. <laughs> and I said, so the only thing I have to worry about is the fact that Van Halen is going to be playing in the next room. And he said, so I know you're working on a TV show. Because <laughs> I was working on that that show Las Vegas, I was getting ready to start working on Las Vegas. And that's how the first few weeks of living there went. I was spending all of my daytime hours, Monday through Friday on a TV set, telling jokes to James Caan and Alec Baldwin. And then every night I'd come back up uh, to the house, to the recording studio. Ed would be in the next room, knock on the door and say, Hey man, I just got home and, um, is it okay if I listen for a little bit before I go to bed? And every night he'd go, dude, I'm fucking lonely. Come on in. And I would listen to Eddie play. And yeah, it was very surreal. The one part that really stands out about, I mean, there's a lot of like interesting things that happened during that time when I was living there, but there's a really funny moment that happens where uh, in March of that year, I took Maddie to go see uh, Metallica. Um, Metallica was doing two nights at the forum and, um, uh, I met a girl at the show who I really hit it off with this, this cute girl who uh, we exchanged phone numbers and we started texting throughout the concert and uh, we were getting really flirty. And then she called me um, around midnight that night and said, Hey, I just dropped everybody off. What are you doing? And I said, I just got home. And she goes, uh, where's home? And I said, I'm in the Hollywood Hills. And she goes, Oh, do you want me to come over? And I was like, Sure. I oh I don't I don't know if that um let me check and see if that's okay. And, and let me cut and she goes, Oh, you you have a girlfriend. And I said, No, I do not have a girlfriend. I'm just in a really uh unique situation. So let me find out if that's okay. And then uh I hung up, I found Ed and I said, Hey Ed, I, I don't know if Maddie told you that I, I met someone tonight. There's this really cute girl, she wants to come over. Is, is it okay if, if I keep her at the studio? Is that okay? And he said, dude. Get some pussy. And I was like, all right, cool. So I called her up and I said, hey, uh, you got to meet me at the bottom of the hill. There's this like windy road, Coldwater Canyon. At the bottom of the hill was um, there's a, a, a Ralph's right there at Coldwater and, uh, and uh, Ventura. And uh, I said, you got to leave your car at the Ralph's and then I'll drive you up. So we meet in the parking lot. She's peppering me with questions like, why do you need permission to have a girl come over and I was like I'm in a really unique I don't know how to say it. I live with anybody else. like I don't know how to to say it so I just take her up the hill and we go in through the back entrance and uh, uh which is next to the studio and and I just open the door and I let her walk in first and she goes wow is your friend like 
the biggest Van Halen fan on the planet or what? And I was like, uh, yeah, kind of. And then she starts recognizing there's a plaque right next to the bathroom door that had um, the cover of all, all six Van Halen albums, I think. But it was all of Van Halen's albums. And it said to commemorate uh, 60 million records sold. No, it was more than six because it had balance on there. Um, to commemorate 60 million records sold worldwide, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, how do you get something like that? And I was like, um, do you hear the noise in the next room? That's Van Halen. Um, this is, uh, this is Eddie Van Halen's house and he's just letting me stay here until I get on my feet again. So, and she was like, Oh, okay. Okay. And then to answer the next question that every guy always asks, the answer is two minutes. It took like two minutes. From that point. How did it not, how did her hair head not explode off of her shoulders when you said I'm living with Eddie Van Halen? Like, it seems like she handled that news pretty well relatively because you tell me that and I'm just going to start screaming and fanboying out like a, like I'm at a Beatles concert. Well, it was just a moment where I had, you know, I hadn't thought of a softer way to say it. So I finally just came right out and just said, listen, here's what's going on. And, you know, and uh, yeah, it, it kind of ended in a really sad way too. I don't know if you know about it, but um, I found out a year later that uh, Maddie and my ex <laughs> We're hooking up the whole time. Oh, dude. They, they ended up together for like five years. They almost got married. Yeah, yeah. It, it turned into an incredible experience because it's like, wow, man, what a, it was such a crazy, crazy story. Yeah. That, uh, that happened and, um, and, uh, such a mind fuck. But I mean, I don't, uh, wish anybody any harm. I'm, I was actually grateful to have that experience. So. Sure, sure. And it's, you know, in my experience, and I am married now, so I don't have to worry about this anymore, thank God. But in my experience, is the sooner they, they rear their ugly head and let you know who they really are, the better. You know, it's at that time when you've been sitting there dealing with it for five years and you don't know you've been dealing with it, but you feel like everybody around you does. You mm. know, it's it's just a real lonely, like, ominous feeling. It's a gift when someone reveals, hey, this is what I'm doing. And right. It's like, oh, okay, all right. And uh, um, I know that Eddie, uh, it's weird because I didn't talk to any, I mean, obviously I wasn't going to talk to my ex or talks to um, to Maddie. Uh, but for years I was like, you know, Ed was always nice to me. I should reach out to Ed. And, and the last time I talked to him, I just, I called him up. Uh, I heard that... Uh, uh, I had heard that he'd gotten sober and, and I wanted to say hello. And, uh, and I said, uh, he picks the phone. Hello. And I go, Hey Ed, what's going on? He goes, who's this? And I go, it's Craig Gass. And he goes, Hey man, what's going on? And he's like super upbeat. And I go, nothing, man. What are you doing? And he goes, sitting on the toilet, taking a shit. And I was like, Oh, you want me to call you back? And he goes, no, talk to me. What's going on? And I go, Oh man, I, fuck. I don't know. Um, let me call you later, man. I'm, this is weird. Let me call you later, man. He goes, no, man. And I go, I go, let me just, are you doing all right? And he goes, fucking great. And I was like, all right, I'll call you later. I just felt weird. Like, I don't want to talk to you while you're taking a shit. So, but he was super upbeat. And he's one of those guys that I feel really um, uncomfortable talking to anyway. So you, you throw in that he's taking a shit on top of that. And it's like, I'm not talking to anybody. I don't think so. 
That's mm-hmm. awesome. That's awesome, man. Well, uh, um, you mentioned, too, that you'd been in Eugene recently, uh, caught one of your shows, had a great time. Um, are you currently touring around doing stand-up, or are you just kind of taking uh, weekend trips? What's your What's your schedule looking like? That's the crazy thing is the Eugene show, I put that together a month ago because I felt like like I just got fully vaccinated. So I'm like, man, I feel like it's, you know, I'm vaccinated. It's time to start getting back to life. And um, so I put together something in Eugene where I had a really great experience the first time I was there when I met you guys. And then I came back one other time two years ago, had another great experience. And then all of a sudden, after I started putting those shows together, I got a phone call from Omaha, the the funny bone in Omaha. Are you available April 1st to the 3rd? And I was like, yeah, available. Fucking I had nothing going on. All right, we're going to book you. So we confirm April 1st to the 3rd. Then I got a text from uh, multiple clubs in New York City saying they're letting us reopen at 50%. Are you available for the reopening? And I was like, yeah, let's do it. And then so I went from Tulsa. I'm sorry, not Tulsa, from Omaha to New York and then over to Eugene. Um, and now all of a sudden shows are starting to come in from Salt Lake and Boise and Detroit and uh, St. Louis. I'm going to St. Louis in two weeks and and it's all starting to come together. So yeah, shows are starting to happen again and now it's time to start, uh, at least for comedians, to start resuming life again. I know a lot of musician friends of mine are not able to do exactly the same. Corey Taylor's out there, or he's about to go out there to do... Uh, uh, like a a, cl- a large club tour, but according to Corey, um, uh, he believes that uh, he'll be touring arenas with Slipknot, or at least outdoor amphitheaters with Slipknot in September. And he's been told, "Wow, that's going to happen." Fingers so. crossed for that, man. I think that I mean, obviously, aside from stand-up comedy, because I I am a huge stand-up comedy nerd too. But I mean, you can see behind me uh, right now. There's a there's an electronic drum set. I'm a musician myself, and I am a huge fan of live music. And uh, it has been an absolute bummer that you just can't get to a show. I mean, there's really unless you catch somebody doing like a jam night at a bar, you almost can't see live music right now unless you watch it on your computer and. Um, I, I'm so glad to hear that Slipknot's headed back out. I've seen a lot of advertisements on social media for um, planned events, but we all know what happened in 2020. Like, there was a ton of shit planned. That doesn't mean it's going to happen. You know, they made posters. So. Yeah, I'm planning on uh, I'm planning on performing in Australia. Wow. So, so that I can catch uh, Guns N' Roses and Kiss out there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I that's that's how I book all my shows around the world is around concerts and here in the United States around the Seahawks and Mariners road schedule. That's great. Uh, uh, so, yeah, so I that's um, uh, I don't know that we'll, you know, I mean, I know there are plans for big concerts over the summer and we should be safer over the summer, but, uh, but I do see that a lot of, uh, big shows are already getting, um, uh, I just got an offer for a text from, uh, Anchorage, Alaska while we're here. Oh, nice. here. So there you go. That's awesome. So, Show up in Anchorage. So, so things are slowly starting to come together, but, um, um, but yeah, concerts, it, it could be a while. And I know that Corey on his, uh, uh, his, uh, large club, small theater tour that he's doing, uh, for the CMFT, I, like everyone on that tour is uh, is signing 
an agreement to say, we're not leaving the hotel. There's zero guests. And uh, they're trying to contain it as much as possible to keep everybody safe and separated. And, um, and uh, I think that's something that uh, Live Nation is concerned about as well. And I think that's it's coming from the top from Live Nation. And then how they deal with the crew is, you know, who knows. But Dude. What what an absolute opposite mindset to have as a rock star. I mean, that's that's all rock stars are known for is just the the after parties. I mean, I you know I, I don't have much of a connection with Slipknot other than uh, a stripper that we used to have in the studio on the radio show fell asleep on their tour bus and they tattooed a dead baby on her back. Um, no, not kidding you, Craig. She would not take her shirt off at the strip club because of it. And she came into the show and told us that story. She's like, yeah, I was kind of like on their tour bus like you know, bumming rides to shows with them and everything. And I was also a stripper and I passed out and now I have this dead baby on my back. And it, I, it, I, you know, who knows if she's telling the whole truth and nothing but the truth, but it's a very Slipknot style story, you know? I'm texting Corey right now to ask him if that's true. Hold on a second. <laughs> Thank you. That's, that's going to do great things for my psyche because she told that story a lot and she was, uh, well, she was pretty pissed off about it. But then I think once she got the attention about it she thought that it was you know it wasn't as bad but um I, that stripper was around for a while and i never saw her take her shirt off i saw the tattoo which it was a it was like a like a dead baby doll with x i think x's over its eyes um and once again maybe it was consensual she might have said hey i want a tattoo and then passed out you know that's i mean that type of stuff happens on a tour bus i can imagine uh but excited to hear what Corey has to say about that because I don't uh, think it was I don't think it was him. I feel like it was people on the bus, you know? I feel like it was probably uh I don't know, what do you call them? Roadies, Tex, you know? Uh maybe. Um But you know him better than I do. You married uh Corey Taylor and his current wife, if I'm not mistaken, yes? Yeah. Uh quite a bit with hung out quite a bit with Slipknot. Apparently passed out on a bus where she was <laughs> it's it, it's hard not to laugh at the circumstance especially if it's true and I, 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 it's going to be even harder if it's true but i mean quite the story like i said she just came in and started telling us about it once because in that uh, much like you were saying is surprising that that radio show was allowed to happen in eugene but uh, we had a few strip clubs that liked to uh, advertise with us, and they would just fill the studio with strippers that would just do stripper things on the air. I mean, you're, you've done Howard Stern. You know what that's all about, I'm sure. But uh, uh, it, she was one that, uh, like I said, whenever it, when everybody else was getting naked, she always had that suspicious shirt on, which seemed like a real hard sell as a stripper, you know? <laughs> uh, he just texted, that's news to me. Uh, well... Maybe we can find her somewhere. If you're listening to this stripper with the with the baby on your back, um, reach out. Manroompodcast at gmail.com. Love to talk to you about that. He said, that's news to me, and then followed up with, but I can't say it never happened. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, give Corey Taylor my best the next time you see him. Uh, that guy's doing some amazing things. Huge Slipknot fan here. My wife, absolutely obsessed with Slipknot. Um I, I, you know, it's obviously I, I used to broadcast on a metal station. Those guys are uh, are way up there on my list. Um, I wanted I just to text it. It gets better. The tattoo was of a dead baby. 
Hey, do you mind if we make this a quick little cliffhanger? Because um, I actually have to grab a charger. My laptop's about to die. So you mind if we make this a cliffhanger? And I'm going to pause uh, my my uh, camera for a second. It's no problem. I will. I have a little break sounder here. I'll play that, and uh, we'll just go ahead and resume whenever you get back. We'll take a break. It's the Man Room Podcast. Thanks for hanging out. There's no toilet in the man room. So we'll be right back. That's what you gotta do when you find yourself thrust into the middle of a cockfight. And we're back. <laughs> uh, he wrote, uh, ha ha, that never happened. And then he said, uh, sorry, I'm driving. And uh, I texted him that I'm going to be reporting these texts to AAA. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks for reaching out to see uh, if you could actually get uh, get an answer out of him, because as I said, you know, I feel like with uh, with bands, once you get that big, like if that stuff happens, it's always got to happen, you know, a half a degree of separation away from the people that really make this thing go, which would be, you know, all eight or nine of them in the band there. So, um, you know. Good story, one way or the other. We got a lot of mileage out of it on the donkey show, I'll tell you that much. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, you were saying uh, about marrying them. uh, They got married uh, two Octobers ago, and um, and I remember the summer before that, I happened to be in the Seattle area when they were performing. Corey was uh, with Slipknot at uh, White River Amphitheater. Um, We hung out on on a night off had an amazing awesome meal and um uh and uh well done now it's turning into <laughs> all right now now it's turning into like a harassment case where i'm i'm giving him shit for uh texting and driving and saying uh he's saying i'm doing voice to text and i said tell it to the judge um <laughs> so uh uh so they uh we were, we were at some point the dates came up he said hey dude uh, what are you doing? Are you free October? Blah, blah, blah. And I said, uh, yeah, I think so. What's going on? And he said, well, um, we're going to get married that weekend. It's going to be a private ceremony. Then we're going to have uh, friends. We want to get friends together just, just to have like a, a, a celebration. And uh, we'd love to have you come over. And I was like, That'd be fucking great. I would love that. And uh, he goes, all right, I got to go. I got to get ready to get on stage. So he he takes off, and it's just me and Alicia and some friends. And Alicia goes, hey, I need to ask you a question about the about the wedding. And I said, yeah, what's up? And she goes, all right, if, if any of what I'm about to tell you makes you uncomfortable, just tell me. And I said, okay. And she goes, um, so when Corey proposed, we started planning our wedding, and we started talking about how to do it. And he thought it would be funny if we had an Elvis impersonator uh, marry us. And Alicia said, there's no fucking way I'm letting you marry us with an Elvis impersonator. And, uh, but every time he brought it up, he was so happy. He always had like such a big smile on his face and brought it up. And I was listening to this going, please tell me you want to be Elvis. Tell me you want to dress up like Elvis. Tell me you want to dress up like Elvis. Please tell me you want to dress up like Elvis. And she goes, anyways, so I don't know if this makes you feel uncomfortable at all, but you know, and if it does, just don't worry about it. You, you know, there's nothing you have to commit to. I go, you want me to dress up like Elvis? She goes, yeah. And I go, fuck, fuck yeah, I'll dress up like Elvis. And she was like, all right, let's do it. And then, <laughs> but what's funny is we never communicated what I was going to do. She just said, would you be Elvis? And in my head, 
I had this horrifying idea of being late stage Elvis. <laughs> and I didn't tell her. I was like, oh my God, it'll be fucking funny. Like I got a bunch of pill bottles and I filled them up with mints um, so I could chug pills while I was like uh, marrying them. I had a bag of Coke uh, that I kept doing like, uh, and it was sugar. Um, I had a bucket of chick. I brought a gun. I had a fucking gun with me and, and I did late stage. And, and it's crazy because um, uh, we got everything all set up and then, you know, the party starting and we sneak the costume and all the props in. And then uh, Alicia says, okay, I'm gathering all the kids together. Are you ready? And I was like, the kids? What the fuck are you bringing kids over for? And she goes, for the thing, for the... And I go, oh my God. I go, Alicia, you do not want any kids to see what the fuck I'm going to do. This is horrifying. I'm going to be... Ch-. And she goes, really? And I go, yeah, what the fuck are you... And we realized we didn't, we didn't quite talk to each other about it. So, so someone had to come up with a game to take all the children off the property and get them to play down the street and then i came in and did some fucking high five cocaine induced <laughs> pill chugging fucking gun shooting elvis shit and uh and i married them and uh and it, it was fun i'm actually editing the video now um and i haven't talked to them about it but i just um uh i need their permission if before i release it so sure sure if you don't see it then it's because it it cannot be released, but I feel like, you know, we all have the same sense of humor and, and, uh, but you know, if it's just a privacy thing, I'll understand, but it was this, you know, there were people there who I really, um, look up to Scott Ian was there, uh, from Anthrax uh-huh. and being able to, to, uh, pull a gun out and say, I don't give a shit what you say, Scott Ian, I am the law motherfucker. <laughs> like, you know, um, Oh, that was like, yeah, that was, that was pretty awesome. That's but, awesome, man. It's it's so cool that somebody that is such a big fan of music like yourself has has uh, not only found a way to to be in and, and meet those people and network with them, but actually perform and share the stage with some of them as well. Uh, we mentioned that you opened for Metallica, first comedian ever to open for Metallica. Um, how fucking nuts was that? I can't imagine what that would be like to share the stage with Metallica. Well, that's the thing that... Uh of all the musicians I know, Corey is the one guy that I, I feel I relate to the most because we're both like music nerds, you know, like music geeks. Um, and, uh, there's like a, uh, uh, some nerdy talk about eighties metal, even about eighties, like beat street and break in and break into like all, all that pop culture stuff. I think we're the same age. I might be a little bit older than him, but, um, uh, you know, that's that, I mean, he's, he's just a normal human being. Like he's just, he just, I don't know. He's more relatable to me than I feel like the more I'm talking about it, the more unrelatable it sounds, but <laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm trying to fucking, I'm, I'm like, I can hear him yelling at me right now uh, for the saying. So, um, uh, but getting to open for Metallica, those guys seem like larger than life people to me for sure. And, and, um, and, uh, there were some funny moments that led up to it, but, but yeah. Uh, and because I got to open for Metallica, I've since been able to open for system of a down. I got offered a tour to open for Alice in Chains doing stand-up comedies or opening act, uh, Motley Crue on their farewell tour. Wow. Uh, 
in the last couple of years, there's a really cool new band called the struts uh, that I've opened for. And then Corey did a uh, Corey Taylor and friends thing oh, okay. that, that we did uh, in the Midwest. I think it was like four or six shows that we did. And, uh, and yeah, that was a, a fun thing. So I developed this thing when I opened for Metallica out of fear, which is, uh, the knowledge that nobody gives a shit about me uh, as the opening act, especially as a comedian. Like, why am I doing this? Like you, you realize, right? Like you want to be cool and be part of the, of this cool group. And then you realize before you walk on stage, like, Jesus, everybody here's on Coke. What are you doing here? Like, like if I'm on Coke at a Metallica show, I don't even want to see a comedian. Right. Like, I don't even want to see an opening band. I just want to see Metallica. I just want to get to it, man. I'm, I'm fucking jacked up. I'm ready to get this thing started. So I did this thing where I just, uh, and it was out of fear that I walked out on stage uh, and just grabbed a microphone and just said, good evening. My name is Craig and I am Metallica Soundman. <laughs> the band has some very important announcements. And then I just made up a bunch of bullshit that wasn't happening. That was super cool, but was all bullshit. There's actually video of me doing it on an arena stage on the Motley Crue farewell tour. If you Google my name and Motley Crue, you'll see I have a friend of mine with a video camera with a camera phone right behind me. And I have the microphone to the 10,000 people out front. And I go, we are recording our first ever live album right here tonight. <sighs> and I turn around, look at the, at the camera phone and I go, they fucking bought it. That's right. Like, you know, I'm lying right to their face. I'm just, I'm doing a high wire act. I'm just fucking uh, putting my life in my hands, just making up shit. And um, yeah, that's, that's fun. I bet, man. I, I bet. Now, another thing that I know that you've gotten into, and sorry if I nerd out a little bit here, but uh You've, you've done a lot of things that, uh, to me, just make me giddy and make me want to talk to you and ask you questions about them. And one of them is your experience uh, with Media Day at the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. um, you've, got some, uh, you've got some videos up that uh, you are basically asking uh, these, these, you know, amazing professional athletes that don't get messed with ever uh, some very funny questions. And uh, you can always tell when it, when it catches them off guard because they always have that look in their eye like, what did he just say to me? You know, and uh, how did, how on earth did you make that happen? Because I know just getting a media pass to go talk to the Oregon Ducks college football assistant uh, student grad coach is uh, uh, jumping through hoops for a week before they allow you the five minutes that you get to talk to them. But you were at the biggest game in the world and got a media pass. How did you do that? You know, you point out a, a, a very true statement. I do stuff with the Seahawks as well. Um, every year at training camp, I'll go up and I'll, I'll do fluff pieces and, and I am a Seahawks super fan and I love assigning magical qualities to my favorite Seattle Seahawks. Um, but there have been times where I've come up and I, I have specific stuff that would be hilarious with specific people. And I'll go, Hey, uh, can I get John Ryan, the kicker? And can I get this guy? the linemen, and can I get this guy? And these are not Russell Wilson. These are not Marshawn Lynch. These are not uh, Richard Sherman guys. These are guys I know as a super fan that I can get something funny out of. And 
it becomes a, well, we have to ask so-and-so and then clear it with so-and-so. And then, fuck, if you have four or five different people saying a comedian wants to do this thing. Wait, what is he? He's a comedian. Yeah. And then they tell the next person, I guess a comedian wants to, wait, is he trying to fuck with us? Like it loses <laughs> all of its fucking, there should not be that many people involved. I agree with you a hundred percent. And the Super Bowl is uh, um, thankfully there. Are, I have a lot of friends in the NFL who uh, are big supporters of mine. And uh, they've granted me access to it. And I, I also know there is, dude, I was with Artie, uh, Artie Lang in New Orleans. Um, I got invited to just attend media day and I, I witnessed it just as a fan and just walked around. And as I'm walking around, it's like you work in radio, you, you make all these radio friends from all over the country and it's specifically sports radio. But as I'm walking around the floor, I'm seeing tons of friends of mine. Some of them are rock guys. Like uh, the 49ers were in that Super Bowl and uh, Super Bowl 47. It was the 49ers and the Ravens. And so I see some buddies of mine from The Bone up in uh, San Francisco, the big rock station in, in the Bay Area. Um, I see Artie there. And Artie um, asked a question. I think it was the first time a professional football player came out as being openly gay. And it was historic because it was it was an active player or was it a former player? He was a I, I don't know, but Artie asked this guy from the 49ers, "What would you say if you found out that a player was gay on your team?" Which it's really um, you can almost hear in your head how they would react to it, and that's not how the guy reacted <laughs> to it. The guy, the guy goes. Uh, well, they better not come out to me. I'll knock them the fuck out. Oh, like he, yeah. And the crazy thing is, you know, number one, he's saying that as a player who plays professional football in San Francisco. So there was huge blowback on that. And number two, Artie Lang gets banned from all NFL events because of what the player said. That doesn't make any sense at all. That's a genius question to ask that guy on the spot. You know, that's what you want to hear is is you know maybe a maybe a little more wholesome reaction, but a reaction. You know, I mean that's that's good True. journalism. I couldn't agree with you more, but I also understand the mindset of the NFL. The NFL is super super conservative, and um, I'm always having to be careful of. I mean, the shit I do with the Seahawks is a no fail i'm tr i'm always trying to think of bulletproof shit um that doesn't offend anybody the last uh training camp that i went to was just simply asking any seahawks they would give me and i talked to like 15 guys on the seahawks and i said listen man you're a professional football player you are intimidating i'm not can you um look in the camera and teach me how to look intimidated, like teach me a look where, and then, and then I'll try to do what you do. And then you critique me. It was fucking. <laughs> so it was like football players looking in the camera, like with all the blood draining on their face going. And then me going, okay, I'm going to try that. And then they'll look at me and go, you look like you need to shit. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm, trying to, I'm trying to look. I'm doing what you said to do, man. Like, you know, um, you know, and getting some great reactions like, all right, uh, can you hire a bodyguard? Like, you know, like, oh yeah. I mean, and that's the same thing I do at the Super Bowl. I just go around and do like 
when the Rams were playing the Patriots, I remember saying, uh, hey, uh, and this is true, after the Super Bowl, it's my birthday, two weeks after the Super Bowl. And I was asking all the players, like, hey, man, it's my birthday in two weeks. You're in great shape. I'm not. How do I look like you in two weeks? And <laughs> it's a dumb fucking question. But I remember a guy from the Rams said, pray to Jesus. Like, he, <laughs> like that was the perfect reaction. And then, by the way, at that Super Bowl, um, everyone understands, based on how I look, that if I'm telling you, hey, man, how do I look like you in two weeks? It is a dumb fucking question. And they take it as a dumb question. And they give me silly, dumb answers. Or they, they're playful with it. But I asked Rob Gronkowski, I said, uh, and it's on, it's on YouTube that, of that Super Bowl with the Rams and the Patriots. Hey, Gronk, how do I look like you in two weeks? And he, and he, he actually looked me up and down and he was like, oh, wow. Um, how long? Two weeks? Oh, wow. Uh uh, okay, first off, uh, a thousand burpees a day, like right off the top. And I go, what? And he goes, yeah, for real. Um, thousand burpees. And I was like, oh my God, he, he actually thinks that in my mind, I think I can look like him. Like I couldn't fucking believe oh, it. Oh man, so, you got to love so, Rob Gronkowski, the NFL's resident frat boy, because that's, that's the answer you'd get at the frat house too. It's like, okay, a thousand burpees a day. We're going to drink nothing but Tito's and soda, you know? And <laughs> yeah, it's, it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. And as a fan, that is the kind of stuff I want to see. I want to see their personalities. I want to see, uh, I just want to have fun with them, you know? So you have to be, you have to be really careful. And I'm, um, I have definitely seen, uh, I've seen the barstool guy getting arrested at that meet. Like he was banned from the Super Bowl. Uh, somehow he snuck into the to the media day. So yeah, and I and I there's like undercover guys walking around. So you, you know, but my silly questions like, "Hey Tom, you're so handsome." Like uh, it's it's silly, but it's a tolerable silly. Sure. So really, there, there's definitely a line that you have to be very much aware of, and and sometimes. I've gotten better over the years. Sometimes I'll notice that uh, some of the players have somebody with them to listen to what I'm asking and to essentially screen me like what you're describing at Oregon State. Um, oh, Oregon. Don't put Oregon State on me. This I'm is, a, sorry, this is an Oregon flag behind me. I just have to clear that up before somebody right. thinks I like Corvallis. All right. My apologies. <laughs> uh, and uh, I don't want to get in the middle of a rivalry. And uh, um, to where um, uh, there's, there's someone trying to be a uh, – um, uh, like a, to to play a, to screen what what's coming through, and it's and it just annoys me because nothing I'm going to say is going to be, you know, offensive or or controversial in any way, shape, or form. But I have learned over the years to stop saying, uh, "Hey, man, my name's Craig. I'm a stand-up comedian." Because as soon as I say stand-up comedian, ninety-five percent of the football players I talk to go, "Oh shit!" And I'm like, "No, no, no, not at all." I'm not that kind of comedian at all. No, I'm, dude, I'm, I, I'm not going to make fun of you. I want you to make fun of me. Right. Which is easy. Look at me. I, <laughs> you know, make fun of me. So, yeah. So I, I, I try to let them know, like, dude, I'm, I'm totally on your side. It's just, um, I just want to do something silly and light. So it's, yeah. it's good that you have that mindset too, because I mean, look, you're not going to find a, a better collection of egos than you find in the NFL, I'm sure. And that goes from top to bottom with those guys, whether or not you're out there playing and scoring every touchdown in the game or whether you never see the field. A hundred percent, dude. There are guys on the field at NFL games 
who uh, wanted to play professional football. And the one thing they can control is keeping an eye on who's on the field. And they're at work, most tightest security I've ever seen more than any concerts I, I've ever been to. I mean, it's, it's insanely tight for sure. I love security guys that take their job that seriously. Uh, I saw one time at a Creed concert, and this will date me a little bit. It was Creed and Seven Dust, believe it or not. And I saw that tour. Yeah, I was uh, I was at the Idaho Center out there, and uh, Nickelback opened for them when they were still on their first album. So. Uh, I mean, this was this was going back a ways. Uh, I was in Boise, Idaho, and there was a lady there, and she was standing just inside one of the fence barriers, and she was taking a picture with a camera that still had film because we used to do that. And I saw this security guard lean over, and actually he floated on the fence because he took his feet off the ground, and he leaned over, and he stretched out, and he hit her camera out of her hand, and it fell on the ground, and it popped open, and he reached through the fence and grabbed that film out of the camera and just walked off. And I was like, that guy should be working for the FBI if he could do that type of shit. He's a, he's a field agent. He's not a blue jacket security guard. What the fuck? Dude, I remember seeing a guy who I ran into years later uh, doing security for... Uh, it might have been the Rolling Stones or Bon Jo. I think he worked with Bon Jovi and the Rolling Stones, but I remember getting introduced to him. And he had some kind of common name like Bob Smith. Hey, this is Bob. It was, it was something like that. It was something like, "Hey, do you know Bob Smith?" And I go, "Bob Smith." And they, and whatever this guy's name was, and I looked at him, and I go, "Oh my God, I know exactly who you are, dude." In January of 1995, dude. You were working for Metallica. And he goes, yes, I was. And I said, oh, my God, dude. I saw the show at America West Arena in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, Jason Newstead is from Phoenix. So this is like his hometown show. And it was one of those uh, Metallica tours. The I think it was Reload, where they had a stage that filled up an entire arena floor so that uh, everyone in the arena had a great seat. Because it's basically the size of a basketball court, the stage. And That's it takes amazing. up the entire floor. And there are fans all the way around it. And on this particular tour, the way that tour started was uh, one member at a time just ran out. Lights on. One member at a time would run out, do a lap around the stage. Place goes nuts. They walk up to the stage. They get handed their instrument. And they just start playing. And another guy runs around the, the circumference of the pit, gets on stage. He starts playing and it turns into a jam. Then it turns into a song. Then all the lights go out and it's a fucking, it was a really cool way to start a show. Yeah. In Phoenix, the first guy out was Jason Newstead because it's his hometown. So um, the play starts going and you start to realize, oh shit, that's Jason Newstead. And he's running through the pit, like going, yeah. And everybody's cheering. And I was sitting up in the rafters. I could see this coming from a mile away. There's the yellow shirt standing in the pit. And one of them looked over and went, like, what the, what the fuck? Like, there's some kid with a concert shirt just going, yeah, and everybody's cheering. And the yellow shirt gets in his way, like, oh, you mother. Like, and he goes to grab Jason. Jason's got this guy, Bob, right behind him, his security guard. And Bob, one hand... He just goes, doink, and he pulls Jason behind him, and he grabs a security guy <laughs> by the top of his head and by the bottom of his balls and lifted him and just went, boom, <laughs> like King Kong. And a giant security guy went, and it just flew, and the place went, 
<sighs> oh my like, god, dude! <laughs> I still feel it in my balls. Like it's been twenty years since that happened. I still feel it in my fucking balls. It was one of the most intense things I've ever seen in my life. And when I told him, he goes, "Yeah, yeah, I remember that." Like, yeah. Like, oh dude, my god, that is physically one of the greatest things I've ever seen in my life, dude. That was fucking amazing. Yep. Yeah. And that guy cut out to do so many other things in life, but was blessed with the uh, James Newstead, you know, personal security guy. I, how great for him! I love yep. it, man. I love oh. it. Um, oh. you know, I don't want, I don't have too much more for you, Craig. I, I know that you're a busy guy, and I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, I did want to give you a chance to talk a little bit because you are uh, such a big Seattle Seahawks fan. Um, I was the one, and I hate admitting this to you because I don't like to speak up when when people ask uh, for crowd participation at comedy shows. But I was your 49er fan at the Eugene show that I was at. Uh, that gave you just a just a very muted boo in the back when you mentioned that you were a big Seattle super fan. Um, actually, you know, I've, I've got history with the Seahawks myself. It's the first pro game I ever saw was Joe Mont or excuse me, John Elway against the uh, Seattle Seahawks in the Kingdome. Uh, Joey Galloway returned to kick for six that game. I got uh, Cortez Kennedy's autograph and uh, got to just a really cool experience for me as like a very young kid. It was something that. I got to do so. I do. While I know that we're uh, we're rivals in the football sense, and that uh, our teams are in the same division, I have a little bit of a soft spot for the Seattle Seahawks, and I can admit that as a diehard, lifelong 49er fan, they've really embraced you as a super fan, haven't they? Um, you get to do all sorts of cool stuff with them. Have you gotten to raise the 12th man flag yet? Is that like on, on your bucket list? Is that coming? No, I did a uh, I did a thing with uh, Mike McCready um, when uh, Mike raised uh, Mike raised the twelfth man flag on top of the Space Needle. Oh, okay. And, uh, Mike brought me along. Mike's the uh, guitarist for Pearl Jam, mm-hmm. and uh, Mike brought me along for uh, uh, to do uh, an introduction because it was it was broadcast live on local television. So I did a quick little uh, hey man, comedian Craig Gas. Here's the man of the hour, Mr. Mike McCready. And then he raised the 12th man flag. This looks like a, I don't know what this is. But, <laughs> um, and, uh, but I haven't raised the 12th man flag at the, at the, at the games, but um, it's funny because uh, I look at opportunities that, that come my way for like auditions and stuff. And I just think, Oh man, maybe if I get that, I'll be able to like, it's funny. <laughs> like there, I did a thing with Saturday Night Live like two years ago or three years ago where we went back and forth uh for a couple of weeks um, while they were looking for new cast members. And I've always wanted to be on Saturday Night Live, but in the back of my mind, I kept thinking, oh my God, if I get on this dude, I am raising the 12th man flag. Like, <laughs> like forget that you're getting a paycheck and that you're on TV and that people are gonna know who you are. It's like, I just wanna be able to have enough people know who I am so I could raise the 12th man <laughs> flag someday. And like, yeah, but I mean, but I've had some amazing experiences. You know, when I go to games, they give me a job so I can be on the field with That's the team, awesome. you know, That's and, so cool. uh, I just, I'm, uh, I'm essentially a gopher, you know, I just, I'm the, um, the Seattle Seahawks, uh, team photographer's assistant. Oh, nice. <laughs> uh, so I, you got to get in the door, man. You got it. It's just like radio. That's what they say. Just get in the door. <laughs> Dude, when you can be close enough to the players where you can hear them yelling out the N word at each other. Oh, it is so exciting. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I don't want to be, I don't want to be friends with anybody in the Seahawks. Uh, I, I just want to be close to the action. And, you know, there's been times that, you know, some Seahawks have been around and I've been friendly with some Seahawks, um, you know, over the years, but I really, I'm not, 
I just want to be close to the action. That's all, man. And uh, so I've, I've been able to experience some pretty cool stuff and I've been very, very lucky. So, and plus my team won. So it's like, you know, I kind of understand a little bit what my friend Bob is like. I have a buddy, Bob, who's been a season ticket holder with the um, uh, New England Patriots since the early 90s. Oh, wow. And dude, he is one of the most relaxed football fans. It's like a guy who's just gotten laid a lot and doesn't care anymore. It's just like, he's like, man, oh, dude, your team's good for you, man. Like, he's happy for everybody's <laughs> team because he's just one and one and one. And, and you know, he's, he's seen the best football and he's just, he's super laid back about it. And, you know, now that the Seahawks have won it all, at least, you know, once in my lifetime, and I got to be there to experience it on the field, in the locker room. You know, I got, there's a picture of me holding Lombardi trophy. Oh my God. It's like, so like, yeah, man. I mean, uh, it's all, all there is is like bringing people to share it with, like, you know, anyone I can think of that would really enjoy this moment with me. It's like bringing along, sharing the experience with people who you know would appreciate it. That's, sure. that's where I'm at. So. Sure. That's awesome, man. I, I was fortunate enough as a, as a San Francisco fan, I'd only ever seen San Francisco play up in Seattle. Uh, but I went to high school with a, with a girl who um, her husband is on the team's medical staff for San Francisco. And two years ago uh, they invited us down for a game. They got us, uh, we just had to buy tickets. She got us down onto the field. She got us access to hang out uh, on the field during pregame and everything like that. And, uh, you know, I'm sitting there as a male in my mid-30s looking at these guys that are 10 years younger than me with my jaw on the fucking ground. Like, And, you know, Marquise Goodwin comes over and he's notorious for talking to a lot, bunch of little kids and stuff. And if you would have pulled back wide shot, you would have seen a bunch of nine-year-olds and then me and then a bunch more nine-year-olds next to me because I was just waiting for him to shake my hand, you know? That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally get that. And by the way, I've actually, I know... Uh, a few comedian friends who are big Niner fans who have told me that um, uh, they've been given access to film um, uh, with the team in the locker room and that there's people that work with the 49ers organization who are really cool to work with. And it, you know, but you know, the Seahawks happen to be my team, but there's, you know, being a fan and booking all my shows around the country to watch my team play in, in other stadiums it really tears down that uh, us versus them thing when you meet nice people in other cities who are fans of other teams. And, um, you know, you start to realize uh, everybody feels the same way about their team. It's harder to, like, think of them as, like, an enemy that I can hate. Right. You know, like, fuck them. I, I hate them. And I hope they all die and that their team dies. <laughs> and then, like, it's like when you actually spend time over there and you start to see how much we all have in common when we have our, which is why when I talk about the Seahawks on stage, I always have to frame it because uh, most people around the country hate the Seahawks outside of the Pacific Northwest because they've gotten so good. Mm -hmm. And I always have to frame it as, all right, listen, I'm just, just, just know that the way my team plays, my team on Sunday genuinely affects my mood for the next seven days and then everyone in the crowd is like all right i get that like I, that's what i feel about my team and then i can get into how i've embarrassed myself in front of my favorite seahawks and people will hear it and go like you know what if i met my favorite quarterback i'd probably do the same thing i'd probably lose my shit and like you know i try to make it as relatable as humanly possible so that's awesome 
yeah, that's the goal. It's so. that's awesome, man. Well, um, you know, it's it's relatable to me in that just being a huge fan of football and what you say about affecting your your demeanor. Um, I'm a season ticket holder for the Oregon Ducks college football, of course, not quite as much riding on it, uh, not quite as much spent on the ticket, but I've actually had conversations with my own dad where he goes, yeah, I watched the game last night and I know I was supposed to call you today, but I waited for a few days just because I watched the game last night, you know, and I, it's like, I get dad, you know, you grew up with me, you know how I am, you know how I, how I wear my emotions on my sleeve. And it's been, it's been a real brown sleeve for the last few days. You know, that's, that's after a loss. That's how I always feel. <laughs> Dude, I'm always like uh, friends of mine who are fans of certain sports teams. Uh, I'll root for them. If I don't have a, a dog in the race, I'll be like, oh, I want to see my friend be happy. So I'll root for their team. And I'll ruin them like, oh, dude, fuck yeah, fuck yeah. And then when their team loses, I just I just leave them alone. I don't say anything. I, fucking, I don't call them for a week. I'm like, I'm just radio silence, dude. Yeah. I'm, like, I'm like, listen, you, you you come to me when you can, man. I, I understand what grieving is. And uh, so I just I just leave it alone, you know. And it's kind of funny because sometimes I'll be watching the game and I don't know anybody who's a fan of either team. This might be a really shitty thing to say, but – if I don't have any connection whatsoever to any team in a World Series or a Super Bowl, I might be like, you know what? I like this team, and I'm going to root for this team. And then they'll show a fan of that team in the stands that looks so fucking annoying that I'll be like, you know what? I want that person to be unhappy. Fuck him. I want his team. Now I'm rooting for the other team. Just because I want to see another shot of that guy unhappy because he's annoying. <laughs> like, yeah, it's really weird how I'll switch during a game just based on people I see in the stands that I just don't agree with. Like, <laughs> fuck him. Like, yeah, it's weird. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. You got to yeah. have a dog in the fight, though. I mean, that's just, that's you know, especially it's a lot like when people gamble on teams that they don't care about. It's like you're just yeah. looking for a reason to watch the game and enjoy it. You know, I get it. Artie talks about that a lot. Artie talks about, you know, you're a degenerate gambler when you're coked up in a fucking casino at two o'clock in the morning, waiting for the lacrosse scores to come in. And it's like, <laughs> you know, Jesus. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's just, that's ridiculous. But, uh, but yeah, that's, um, and it's why, um, you know, playoffs are of anything I'll watch, you know, I'm not a huge hockey fan. I'm not a big basketball fan, but I like the beginning of the playoffs and following teams through the playoffs, you know, but football's my jam, man. Football is absolutely my jam. So. Yeah, it's uh, dude, it's the it's the sport of choice here in the man room for sure. While we like a lot of them, uh, football definitely reigns supreme, and I think always will. Um, all right, this is the point of the show where you get to plug everything that you've got going on. I can't promise that there's going to be a lot of people that are going to hear it, but the people that do, I want them to uh, know where they can find you, know where they can get in touch with you, websites, shows coming up, anything like that that you want to plug. Just go to getgas.com, get gas with two S's. Uh, that has all the social media stuff. Uh, if you want to see some really weird pictures, uh, you can see the links to Instagram, my Facebook, my Twitter, and um, everything's right there. And um, I'm showing up somewhere near you eventually. So Awesome. Well, we will go ahead and put a link to your website uh, in the description of this podcast. So if you're listening, go click that right now. Go get in touch with Craig. Um, dude, one of the most accessible uh, accessible celebrities I've ever uh, been around, and uh, I just love talking to you today. Thank you so much. Like I said, you have no idea how much it means to me that I, I jumped in your Facebook DMs and was like, hey, bro, want to do a podcast when you were in town for a show, and you actually said yes 
That's amazing. Thank you so much for doing the Man Room podcast. Well, you're one of the few guys that is really, really memorable because I was like, dude, what the fuck? What happened to that show, man? That was crazy. <laughs> like, yeah, again, going back to the beginning of this conversation, I remember that as being like, wow, that that is something I did not expect to see when I got to Eugene, Oregon, was to see a show like that. That was fucking nuts. So, yeah, man, anytime, dude. And, um, and uh, I don't know how long it'll be before I come back to Eugene, but I will be back again at some point in the next year or two. So Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Craig Gass, everybody. That's the Man Room Podcast. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. And, and the transmission. The transmission. <laughs>